Before we get to today's show, I'd like to hear from you. This show is nothing without our listeners, and we want to make sure we provide you with what you're looking for. Our mailbox is open to all suggestions. So if you have a topic you want to learn about, or a guest you want to hear from, let us know by sending us an email to jagahealthandwellness at gmail.com. That's C-H-A-G-A-H-E-A-L-T-H-N-W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S at gmail.com. Now, enjoy the episode. As the world gets louder and louder, the lessons of our natural world become harder and harder to hear, but they are still available to those who know where to listen. I'm Jerry Olette, and I was honored to serve as Ontario's Minister of Natural Resources. However, my journey into the woods didn't come from politics. Rather, it came from my time in the bush and a mushroom. In 2015, I was introduced to the birch-hungry fungus known as chaga, a tree conch with centuries of medicinal applications used by Indigenous peoples all over the globe. After nearly a decade of harvest, use, testimonials and research, my skepticism has faded to obsession, and I now spend my life dedicated to improving the lives of others through natural means. But that's not what the show's about. My pursuit of this strange mushroom and my passion for the outdoors has brought me to the places and around the people that are shaped by our natural world. On Outdoor Journal Radio's Under the Canopy podcast, I'm going to take you along with me to see the places, meet the people that will help you find your outdoor passion and help you live a life close to nature and under the canopy. So join me today for another great episode and hopefully we can inspire a few more people to live their lives under the canopy. Okay, well, we're going to do another episode of Harvest Time. Although it's a little bit different this time in that what we're talking about is something that we were doing last night, which was, believe it or not, we make our own soap. And it's just like, for those that remember the show, Granny from the Beverly Hillbillies, She was out back at the old cement pond making soap. Now, I don't know if you'd want to make it in the size of the kettle that she was using, but a lot of people actually make their own soap, and it's not that hard to do when you find out the details. I'm sure there's lots of places that you can follow through, but when we first started, it was quite a while ago. And the main ingredients for soap... Now, first of all, the history of soap making goes back to the Egyptian times over 4,800 years ago. And apparently what happened was when they were burning wood, they used to throw the the remains of the wood on the side of the bank of a river. And when people were washing their clothes, they found always washing it downstream from where the ash was, was thrown over, the clothes always came out cleaner. And the reason for that was that's where lye comes from. So lye is one of the main ingredients. The main ingredients for basic soap is is basically... Um, lye or ashes, water, and usually a carrying agent like a lard or a tallow or a fat are the main ones. And we, When I first started making soap, that's essentially what we did. We used lard 
And I'd occasionally get tallow, lye, and water. And we would blend the three together. And, and it's a process to, to reach sopification. That's when it turns to soap, basically, where you control all the temperatures and things like that. But since then, we've, we've learned a different method. And now we have a considerable uh, soap out there that people very much enjoy. So first of all, I should go over the equipment. Now, and you can do basically make your soap in an evening sort of thing. So we set aside an evening for the whole thing. And what we do is, so we'll get our ingredients. And for soap, the stuff that you need for soap is, well, I use a a um, mold for most of it. So we have a number of different molds that we use and you can get those molds online or a lot of other individuals will actually use milk cartons. And if you take a one liter carton or for larger bars, if you want to do the large uh, two liter cartons of milk, you cut the top off and you will use that as your mold. And once it hardens and you just cut those to the size of the bar you want. But I use a mold and we have a number of different ones. We've got a moose mold, a, a bison mold, a bear mold, a tree of life mold, acorns, and a, I think it's a spruce tree is the last one. Now for equipment to make soap, it's pretty basic. And quite frankly, if you go to the, to your, your dollar store, you can pick up a lot of the stuff at the dollar store. And, and some of the things like I went to uh, some of those uh, Bibles for Missions places like that and picked up a bunch of used equipment. So one of the ones was a, a double burner. Now you need a double, a larger double burner. And actually what I did was I, I bought two pots, one fit inside the other. And all the double burner is, is you have one pot with water that you heat and that other pot sits inside the water that's being heated in order to melt that and that way you control the temperature so it's not too hot. Some of the other equipment we need, and we need safety equipment, so we have glasses as well as rubber gloves because some of it, uh, the when you put the lye in, it's, it can be very, it, you get a lye burn, you notice it. It's kind of like um, when you get stung by a bee, you get that formic acid that comes out of the bee that causes the stinging sensation. Well, a lye burn is a little bit different. But it's it's still kind of the same level of irritation that you would get. And some of the other equipment we need is we need, we picked up a uh, one of those blenders that you just put in. It's like a hand that uh, put in to blend it all together. We have a large, uh, fine, and I use a very large one. It's a, the a uh, sieve so that we can pour the the uh, material through to make sure it goes through fine enough. I need large containers to um, to blend it all together in. And then as well, I need, uh, I use a temperature thermometer to make sure that the temperature just right, because temperature is one of the key things. I need a weigh scale as well as some of the other stuff that I have is, and once you bake your own soap, you need a place to cure it. So I have, believe it or not, somebody gave me a couple of what they were using was just some old bread, um, their, their bread trays that they, the bakers have bed trays on. And this person worked at a bakery and got these bread trays and, and offered them to me to cure the soap in. 
Because once the soap is made, it's not so much just making the soap. It's the cure time that it takes to be able to, to actually use the soap. So once you make it, it takes four to six weeks of cure time in order to actually use the soap. And quite frankly, the longer it cures, the harder it is, the longer your, your, your soap will last. Because it's harder and it still gives you the lather and other things. Now, for ingredients in the soap, what we use in our formula, and if you go on something, you can get a, it's called a soap calculator. And if you were just to do a, a online search, just do a soap calculator, and it'll give you the exact amounts of the amount of material that you're putting in. It depends if you're using an exfoliating soap or not. And all exfoliating is, is because is we put chaga in our soap, ours is a chaga soap. And what I do is I use about a coarse grain of salt material chaga, which makes an exfoliating soap when it goes in and it kind of cleans off the dead skin off your off your skin. A lot of people know what exfoliating soaps are, but some may not. So some of the main ingredients that I use are olive oil, coconut oil, shea butter, beeswax, lye, milk, goat's milk actually, and chaga. Now, goat's milk makes a very, very good soap, and it uh, it moisturizes very nicely, so it doesn't draw a lot, and so does the beeswax. But I talk to a lot of soap makers who have problems using beeswax because it starts to congeal too quickly when they're doing their formulas. But our formula, we've been actually been very fortunate in, in making sure that the operation works well. And you can use other things as well. The one... Um, Soap maker that I know, she uses castor oil in every single one of her formulas. Never heard of a soap that didn't have castor oil in hers, according to her. But other people will use palm oil or avocado oil or or rice bran or mango butter and a bunch of other things. And then you can put scent in it as well. And lavender seems to be one of the key ones, although people will put other things in. It depends if you want to make a, a medicinal application soap. But chaga is antiviral, antibacterial, antifungal, antimicrobial. So it's almost an antiseptic soap in itself. But people will put medicated soaps uh, by putting vitamin E in it for skin conditions or a lot of other things. And, and you go to your soap calculator. Remember I said you just do an online soap search, you do a soap calculator, and you put the ingredients you want in your soap into the calculator, and it'll give you the exact amounts or your formula for making your own soap. And that includes the scents and the amount of scent that you want to put in as well. And as I mentioned, you know, soap goes back for for 4,800 years back to the Egyptian times, but the Babylonians, they found uh, used uh, soap along with uh, a lot of other ones back in those times that uh, they actually found a lot of soap making history and materials that were still being used. Okay, so now what do we do? So you've got your materials and your double burner. I put the double burner on. I heat the, the water so the, the burner pot, the top pot is, is hot. And then I'll start to add my materials. In my case, we'll put beeswax in and then we'll put the, the shea butter in and then the coconut in as well. And once those have all liquefied, then we check the temperature. And checking temperature is very, very key because if you mix your two together that are so the temperatures are too far apart, then it cause you don't get a sopification and you actually don't get what's called trace and you don't actually end up with soap. So we use a, a, a thermometer for that to make sure that. So now we take, what we do is with our goat's milk, we will actually freeze the goat's milk and make goat's milk ice cubes out of it. 
And here's the reason why. When you mix lye, and for those that don't know what lye is, if you take hardwood ash, and, and you can make your own lye, if you take hardwood ash and put it basically in a large strainer of some kind, uh, like an old tea towel or something, and you pass water through it, through the hardwood ash, what comes out is actually lye. Now, lye is very acidic, and that's why you wear rubber gloves and your protective eyeglasses, because if it splashes up, you'll get a burn, a lye burn. And it's very hot, so it generates a lot of heat. And if you don't mix the two, when you mix it in, when we mix our, our formula with the goat's milk, we use frozen goat's milk cubes and lye and mix it together. It regulates and lowers the temperature. So now I've got the pot. Remember, I was using the coconut oil, shea butter, and beeswax in the pot in the double burner. And once that is melted, I start checking temperature. So the temperature, it needs to be within about, well, we found that they say about 10, 12 degrees difference between your lye and goat's milk temperature and your, your oils temperature. But actually, we found that uh, we can get up with our formula to about 20 degrees difference, and it still gets to sopification or it gets to the ability to make soap. So what we do is we check the temperatures, and after the oil or the coconut oil, shea butter, and beeswax have melted, I will pour out the hot water inside that lower burner in the double burner, uh, and I will put cold water in. And when I do that, I let the the melted stuff, the coconut oil, the shea butter, beeswax, start to cool. And when it starts to cool, then we will look and check the temperature so long as the lye in the goat's milk, and quite frankly, when we blend the two together, we put it in a in a sink with ice cubes or cold water in it, and in the containers sitting in the in the sink with that in order to lower the temperature. When the two temperatures are fairly close, I will add the olive oil to the coconut oil, shea butter, and beeswax and mix the two together to bring that temperature down even more. Because quite frankly, you get up around 140 degrees Fahrenheit with the the original melted uh, shea butter, coconut oil, and beeswax. And the lye with the goat's milk actually we've got that down considerably because if we, we were first started doing it, we didn't realize, and it took some experimenting to find out, well, how do you get that cold? Well, you put the container in and we use a large, tall container in the uh, in the sink with ice and cold water in it and it keeps it cold. But now we find that, uh, quite frankly, the frozen goat's milk and the lye blend, and you can pick up the lye even at some of your hardware stores, I found one hardware store actually locally here in a place called Brooklyn where I can pick it up at the uh, Brooklyn Home Hardware Store. They have a lie in there, but other places was very hard to find. And a lot of the youth that were working part-time in the stores had difficulty even knowing what lie was and what do I use it for and how it was. But it was for soap making. Anyways, so when the temperatures start to get close, I pour the olive oil in with the coconut shea and beeswax to cool it even more. And with they're in, when they're in about, uh, well, like I mentioned, they say about 10 degrees, 15 degrees difference, 10, 12. Even for us, though, we get to about 22 degrees difference. Then we have a large pot and pour the entire blend together. Now, some of the things you want to do is you want to make sure that you don't get a lot of air in it. So we pour down the side or with a, a strainer. And not so much a strainer, but um, 
Uh, we will pour it into a large pot. And then we take the strainer and pour the lye and goat's milk through the strainer because it will clump up very heavily and it's very, very difficult to work with. But when you put it through a strainer, it uh, it takes it down and we use a just a, uh, actually a wooden spoon will work with a nice curved surface and push it through the strainer. It'll make it small enough that they will blend together. And once it's gone through, all the through, you've poured all the, the lye and the goat's milk together in with the pot with the now olive oil, coconut oil, the shea butter and beeswax. Then we start to blend them using a blender, just a handheld blender that I picked up at the oh, Bible's Remission or one of those those uh, places there. You can pick that stuff up pretty cheap. And I start. we start to blend the, all the ingredients together. And you can develop your own formula if you want to use, you know, some people have allergies to certain types of, well, people have uh, coconut allergies and things like that, so they won't use that. And then with the soap calculator, they'll do their own, their own formula. Once we start, we use the blender until we get this thing called trace. And trace is hard to figure it out. And what that means is that the, the soap formula has reached a blending point where it starts to basically, I guess you'd say, harden. And when it starts to trace is when we start to pour into our molds. So I take this out, and the big thing is clean up with all this stuff because it's very acidic. The lye in there makes it difficult to work with. And so we start to pour in, but again, you want to make sure that that you don't have a lot of air in with your, your formula. Even when you put the blender in, the handheld blender, what we do is we try to get all the air bubbles out of it before we put it in because there will be air in the pockets at the bottom of the the handheld blender that put air into it and it causes a bit of problems when you're pouring. So we will start to pour and my wife and I do this together. One will pour and one will, I actually, what I do is I shake or tap the molds until it all gets down to brings out any bubbles and things like that. And then we will set it aside. And like I mentioned before, you can use certain things like milk cartons. A lot of of soap manufacturers or, or makers will say you can use a milk carton. And what you can do is you can you get fancy on the tops and things like that. So they'll put, so your soap looks fancy. But if you just want a straight bar of soap, it's a lot easier just to pour it in. And then take the, uh, um, once it's hardened. Okay, so I'm getting to the hardening now. So once you get trace, you pour the material into the molds and we have to watch because we reach a point where all of a sudden it gets a little bit difficult with the actual material. It starts to harden up too much and it stops pouring very easily. And that's a good sign. So I will take the molds and then I will set them out and let it cool usually for 24 hours and the soap will harden then and then you can take it out of your molds. Some of it is that um, we found that it was very hard for with the intricate details because I've got, as I mentioned, a, a moose, bear, bison, and a bunch of other a tree of life, a uh, fir tree, as well as uh, oak, oak leaf, and acorns in the in the patterns and things like that. It was very hard to get out of the the mold itself. So here's a little trick I learned. What I did was I put the molds in the freezer. And I froze them. And once they froze, then I brought them out and they separated very easily. There's two ways to do it. 
One, if you leave it in the freezer long enough, it will freeze solid enough so that the the bar of soap, this is, of course, after you've waited 24 hours. So we wait, we pour the mold, we leave it out in the air to dry for or to start to cure for 24 hours. And then I put it in the freezer, let them freeze. And when they come out, you can do one of two things. I take a very thin amount of hot water in the sink just to make sure it covers the bottom of the mold until and the molds will heat up. However, the soap will stay the same size and I turn them upside down and they just pop out very easily. Now, the other thing is, is that some of the molds that we have, for example, the Tree of Life one, along with the the uh, oak leaf and the acorns and the fir tree one, it's a, more or less kind of like a Christmas tree, that mold, they are large and there's there's some of them have six in one big block and some of them have nine in one big block. So you can get soap cutters, but if you're going to get a soap cutter online, you can order them, but it's very hard to find. We still haven't found a good one that works the way we want it to, whereby when you cut your mold, and basically it's kind of like, well, how shall I describe this? If you were to take a hacksaw and take the hacksaw blade out and just take basically piano wire or picture hanging wire and run it in place of the blade, that's what a soap cutter would look like. And essentially what you do is you cut through it, and with that very thin blade, it works very, very well. But the problem is, is they haven't found any soap cutters that will actually cut the blocks that we have. So what I use is an extremely thin, sharp knife. And I will heat that knife with hot water. And so I've taken, so we've taken these molds, we put them in the freezer. We let them freeze, and especially the big blocks, they come out very easily. Most of the time, I don't even have to put them in water. I just turn them upside down, and they pop right out. I don't cut them frozen. I wait until they've unthawed, so I wait at least 24 hours, most of the time 48 hours. And then it will take an extremely sharp knife, very, very thin, though. You don't want a big, heavy-duty knife. I find a very thin knife works a lot better. And what I mean by thin is the thickness of the blade, not the... Not the uh, from the sharp edge to the top of the blade. I'm talking about the, the, the actual thickness of the metal that they use to make the blade out of. A very thin one there. And I will cut down through the cut lines on the blocks of soap and then cut them to the size. And they, uh, those molds are usually pretty good in that they come with uh, lines where you would follow the line to make a specific bar of soap. Okay, so... Now, you've been through the whole process of heating it, making it, and now cutting it. Now, what do you do? So now, the big thing is you need to cure it. And as I mentioned before, it takes a considerable amount of time, like four to six weeks before that's cured enough in order to use. So you need curing racks. And to be perfectly honest, we first started making soap probably, oh, I don't know, eight, 10 years ago. And I was at an event where Sam was beside me, a soap maker, and asked me, he says, you know, would you like me to make your, your soaps for you? I said, absolutely, because it's, it, it's, it's a bit time-consuming and occupies space to cure it. And for those, I remember the Beverly Hillbillies and Granny with that uh, big kettle, soap-making kettle in the, at the cement pond. I don't know how you'd ever cure that because the molds or everything you'd use would be absolutely huge and the amount of space you'd need just to cure it would be overwhelming. So what I have is a curing racks and I let it sit for a minimum of four weeks before we use it and it makes a wonderful soap that you can use all the time. 
And I'll let you in on a little secret. The soap that I use, I actually use, and I've quite met quite a few people that do a similar thing. Our soap, I'll actually use it as a shampoo, and it works fantastic. It uh, the, the the materials in it, and it almost works like a conditioner. I find that uh, once I've washed my hair, the ingredients in the soap actually kind of work like a conditioner, and it ends up being a a very nice shampoo. And <laughs> for that matter, I'll use it as a shaving cream. And I use it as a shaving cream on my face. And so all the materials in it with the chaga, chaga being antiviral, antibacterial, antifungal, anti, it's micro, antimicrobial, it uh, finds I don't get any of the rashes or anything that I used to get using the regular soap that I would buy from the store. Works fantastic. But those are just some of the things. And for those that have any questions or anything, don't be afraid to, to drop us a line. You can let us know... Uh, um, any of the questions that you have, or if you go to our website, Chaga Health and Wellness, you can ask questions there about that. Or if you think of any podcast that you think might be of interest that people may find interesting, I would be more than happy to see what I can do to accommodate you. But I got to tell you, sometimes it's pretty hard to find the individuals or the uh, experts to come online to talk about specifics, but I work at it. Anyways, that's soap making. That's one of the things that we do. And quite frankly, a lot of people will use a lot of wild game fat. We did a podcast with a, a person from the retired from the Ministry of Natural Resources that talked about uh, cervids and uh, talked about uh, the how they live off their fat through the winter. So some individuals will actually use a deer fat, a bear fat, or I saw somebody on uh, one of the, the sites I'm on, Living Off Grid, where they actually use wood duck fat to cook everything in because they felt it was in. But you can utilize those in making your own soap under the canopy. small-town sheet metal mechanic come to build one of Canada's most iconic fishing lodges? I'm your host, Steve Nidswicki, and you'll find out about that and a whole lot more on the Outdoor Journal Radio Network's newest podcast, Diaries of a Lodge Owner. But this podcast will be more than that. Every week on Diaries of a Lodge Owner, I'm going to introduce you to a ton of great people, share their stories of our trials, tribulations and inspirations learn and have plenty of laughs along the way meanwhile we're sitting there bobbing along trying to figure out how to catch a bass and we both decided one day we were going to be on television doing a fishing show my hands get sore a little bit when i'm reeling in all those bass in the summertime but that's might be for more fishing than it was punching you so confidently you said hey pat have you ever eaten a drum Find Diaries of a Lodge Owner now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. What do football, hockey players, boxers, and fishing guides have in common? A love for the outdoors. I'm Jamie Pastilli, a fishing guide with a lifetime of experience chasing down some of North America's most sought-after species with some of the world's most interesting characters. On Outdoor Journal Radio's Tackle Box podcast, I'm joined by one of those people, CFL legend Brad Sinopoli, as we share stories and talk to the athletes who found their passion through hunting and fishing. 
World Heavyweight Champion Tyson Fury. They brought you in to spar this big animal. I had a rod, so I just randomly brought it to Colorado. It got me hooked up on some beautiful fish, those big rivers, and it was uh, you know, some of my best memories of you know, my hockey, during my hockey career. So join Jamie and I every week on the Tackle Box for a behind-the-scenes look at some of your favorite athletes and angling personalities. From hits to tangles, passes into angles, the Tackle Box has your sports and angling listening covered. Find the Tackle Box now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts.